It is December 8, 2016 in Vrindavan, India, and we're going to be looking at uh, the nine processes of devotional service, the process of surrender. So we're going to explore what does it mean... Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. What does it mean to surrender? That's a word we hear a lot in the Hare Krishna movement, isn't it? Right? Just surrender to Krishna. Have you ever wondered what does that mean? How do I know if I'm surrendered? What do I do to surrender? So we're going to be looking at four different areas. First, we're going to look at the story of Bali Maharaj, who epitomizes this particular devotional service of surrender. Then we're going to look at the six symptoms of surrender. Uh, Then we're going to look at two of the 64 angas of bhakti mentioned by Rupa Goswami in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, and of course, by Prabhupada in the Nectar of Devotion, Atmanivedanam and Sharanapati. Both of these have to do with surrender. We will look at those very briefly. All right. So first, the story of Bali, who epitomizes or personifies surrender. So Bali Maharaj wanted to rule the heavenly planets, and... He pleased his spiritual master, Sukracharya, and basically took over the heavenly planets without a fight. Right? He came with the other demons, and Indra's guru, Brahaspati, says, better just give up and leave. So the demigods took different forms according to their own desires, and they left. However, Indra's mother wasn't very pleased with the situation, and so she prayed to the Lord to please appear as her son and to regain the heavenly planets for the sake of her other sons. So the Lord appeared to her and says, Yes, I will grant you this benediction, after which he appeared as her son, Vamandev. At this time, Bali Maharaj was engaged in a fire sacrifice. Because he was told that although he had acquired the heavenly planets, he wouldn't be able to keep them. Now we find that Lord Brahma told Hiranyakashipu that. He said, I'll give you this benediction, but keeping it will be very difficult. Have you ever found that? You got something that you wanted and then maintaining it wasn't quite what you bargained for. So Bali Maharaj had to do a lot of work to keep his position. Am I speaking slowly enough for you to translate? It's okay. If you need me to slow down or repeat anything, just ask me. And anyone else here who has English as their second language, if you need me to repeat something or to go more slowly... Please just tell me, okay? Yes? Very good. So he's doing this yagya, and then Vamandev comes, said he was more effulgent than one of the fire demigods, and he was pushing down the world 
with every step. And Bali Maharaj was very enchanted by him. Who wouldn't be enchanted by the all-attractive? Now, it's interesting, we often think, if only I could see God, then I would surrender to him. My problem with surrender is that I can't see him. Uh, but it wasn't only Bali that saw Vamandev and knew he was God, or had some great attraction to him at least. Somebody else saw Vamandev and actually knew he was God and decided not to surrender. Sukracharya said, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's Vishnu, don't surrender. Don't surrender. Right? And Vamandev says, I, I just want three, three little steps of land. And Sukracharya said, no, don't surrender. This is Vishnu, he will take everything. And Bali said, but I've already promised. I already said I would give him everything. And Sukracharya said, well, did you say Om? And anyway, certain times you can lie. He gives a whole list of when you can lie. And he said, listen, if you give everything, then how will I live? It's not just your maintenance. You're paying my bills also. And you give everything to the Lord, who's going to pay my bills? But Bali Maharaj said, no, I'm, I'm going to give him anyway. At which point Sukracharya said, and I always find this very interesting, I curse you to lose your opulence. Why would he do that? I mean, he's worried that Bali's going to lose his opulence giving to Vamandev, and then he curses him. We do this in anger, don't we? When we get angry, we say things, do things that harm ourselves. So then Vamandev, of course, got as big as the universe... to Krishna and we say the cup would be nice though that would take the cup when we go to Krishna and we say I'll give you everything we don't generally assume that he's going to take everything isn't it right when we go in front of the Lord yes you can have whatever you want we don't expect that our house our family our money or everything will be gone thank you it's more conventional. Just like people all the time say, oh, what service can I do for you? Right? We say this to each other. What service can I do for you? But most of the time, we expect the other person to say, oh, nothing. When, when I started uh, traveling, people would invite me to their home for prasadam. And if I was busy, I would say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm busy, I can't come. And then I learned that unless they said, come at 10 o'clock on Wednesday, you could always say yes. Oh, please come for prasadam, please. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Unless they made a specific date and time, nothing happened. You understand? So we think like that with Krishna. Yes, Lord, I surrender whatever you want. 
I don't know, he won't ask anything. So Bali Maharaj actually lost everything. Ramandev covered the whole universe. And that wasn't all that Vamandev took because Bali was attached to his truthfulness, wasn't he? Correct? I promised, he told his guru, I promised I have to be truthful, I have to give my word of honor. Uh, when we study Manashiksha, we'll be discussing about the desire for honor. So Vamandev took that also. He said, you're a liar. You said three steps. You only gave two. I'm arresting you for lying. You know, Bali was a leader. These people are especially interested in honor and prestige, in truthfulness and dharma. Imagine if you got arrested by God in front of all of your friends for being a bad devotee. Just imagine this for a minute, okay? You know, you're in the Krishna Balaram temple and you're there praying, Krishna Balaram, I give you everything. And first of all, they actually take everything. And then... They come off the altar, tie you up, and arrest you, and say to all the devotees in the community, this person's a liar and a cheater. How would you feel? That's not just taking everything externally, that's also taking everything from the ego. Do you all understand that? Our two main sources of pleasure materially are objects for our senses and the ego inflation for our mind. You're good, you're wonderful, you're honest, you're righteous. You're... He took everything. And what was Bali's response to this? Generally, if somebody takes something from us, especially, especially honor, if someone takes respect from us, if someone's disrespectful to us, how do we usually respond? Anger. Anger. And we can get often very angry very quickly. Uh, Bhagavatam says the anger like falls out of the sky. Bali's response was to submit. He said, you know, you're right. I was a liar and a cheater because it was something I didn't give you. So therefore he epitomizes surrender. He happily, happily, joyfully, peacefully accepted Vamandev taking everything external and even taking his honor and his response was to give more.
So we're going to look now at the six symptoms of surrender. And uh, these symptoms are sometimes explained by Srila Prabhupada, by our acharyas in the Shastra, a little differently in different places. Um, I'm, I'm pulling this all from Srila Prabhupada's books, mostly Chaitanya Charitamrita, uh, Nectar Devotion, and several lectures. And I, I've chosen particular ways that Srila Prabhupada explains these that I think make it very clear what's the distinction between them and also make it particularly clear how to apply them. Also, it seems to me that they are somewhat progressive, that each of the six symptoms of surrender, each one is a further surrender. So the six symptoms of surrender, as we're going to be discussing them here, again, they are sometimes explained uh, somewhat differently in different places. The first one is to accept everything that is favorable. And this is, of course, even things that we might not have accepted otherwise. The second one is to reject everything that is unfavorable. The third one is being convinced that the Lord will protect us. Uh, the third one is the conviction, oh, sorry, the fourth one is the acceptance of the Lord as one's guardian or master. That one is particularly explained different ways in different places. Uh, the fourth and fifth one. The fifth one, no separate interest or no sense of independence in fulfilling one's desires. So I like both of those explanations. Not having a separate interest and being dependent on the Lord to fulfill our desires. And the last one is humility. This is from Ledger 22, 100. And you notice I put, oh, but you can't, it's off. This, it's off to the side. What a shame. Okay, so we've put numbers by them. You can't see numbers three and number six. But as we go through this, I have in the upper corner the number of the symptom of surrender that we're looking at. Is that, you understand what I'm saying? So one, two, three, four, five, six, and the number will be on each slide that relates to that symptoms. Six is humility. And we're going to be going through each of them in some depth. So this is the first one. You see, oh, you can't see the number one here anyway, Hare Krishna. I wonder, is it possible to zoom down a little bit? Could we get it like maybe 95% instead of 100% with the remote? Because we're, we're going off the edge of the screen. Where's, where's that remote? This is accepting what's favorable. And especially we want to look at, especially we're looking now at Panchanga Bhakti. Accepting what's favorable would be most of the 64 angas of bhakti. Of course, some of the 64 angas of bhakti are things you should do, and some of the 64 angas of bhakti are things you should avoid. So we're going to look right now, because this is accepting what's favorable, at the five most potent items of devotional service. So these are things we should accept. Now, this is not, again, the complete list, because we could look at all of the 64 angas and look at all the ones that are positive. 
when, we, when we're teaching Manashiksha, especially day after tomorrow in verse 11, Raghunathaska Swami gives a little different list of five nectars that one should accept. But we're just going to go through a little meditation on Rupa Goswami's five most potent aspects of bhakti as things we should accept. And the first one we'll look at is deity worship. So part of our surrender is accepting that worship of the deity is a regular part of our life. And of course, Srila Prabhupada established so many temples all over the world where we can come and worship the deity and meditate on the deity. And then many of us have our own deity that we are doing regular worship for. It's important that when we're worshiping the deity that we do so according to the rules of Archana and that we do the worship on a regular basis. We don't want to keep the deity as some kind of, you know, desk ornament <laughs> or, you know, here's some piece of artwork in my house or here's my karma stamping out machine. You know, I put my food in front of it and ring a bell and takes out the karma and then I eat the food. But we should really develop a relationship with the Lord in the form of the deity and meditate on the deity as our, our master and our beloved in, in some temples particularly, you notice this mood about the deity. If any of you have ever been to Hungary, one of the primary things you'll notice in Hungary, especially at New Vrajdam, but even in, in Budapest, is a real emphasis on the deities, especially Radhasham. And you'll just... It's very difficult to have a conversation with anybody at New Vrajdam for more than 10 or 15 minutes without them talking about Radhasham, isn't it? I mean, just they, they will just bring it back to Radhasham all the time. They're very, very conscious of the deity as the center of the community, uh, the deity as the center of their personal lives, and so forth and so on. And, of course, Srila Prabhupada writes in the seventh canto that if householders do not worship the deity, their fall down is positively assured. And I, I understand that the reason for this is that we tend to think that we're the master of our homes. This is my house, it belongs to me. And when we have the deity, then we understand, no, this is Tai's house, or this is Jagannath's house, this is Radha Krishna's house, and so forth. They're the first to eat, they're the first to get everything. I know many devotees, even in their own home, who read their personal financial accounts to the deities. You know, in most of our temples we recite the book scores, but Prabhupada talks about reciting the financial accounts to the deities. I know one devotee, in fact, here in Vrindavan, every time she receives a letter, she reads the letter to her deity. Every time she writes a letter, she reads the letter to her deity before she sends it out. So maybe we're not going to do that. But something where we're involving the deity in our lives, where it, it isn't some ritual... It isn't just some, oh, there, there's, my, there's my Lord over there. But were we really treating the Lord as a person and getting a, a personal relationship with the deity, not only in our daily worship, but in our consciousness throughout the day? And then there is, of course, living in a holy place. So those of you who live here in Vrindavan are very fortunate 
Uh, but of course, wherever the Lord is, there is Vrindavan. And wherever our consciousness is in Vrindavan, there is Vrindavan. We'll be discussing this in Manushiksha a little bit more tomorrow. In fact, if we're in the proper consciousness, we become a walking holy place. But as far as accepting what is favorable, we should live in a place that is sanctified. We should live in a place that's connected with the Lord. Either in a place like Vrindavan or Mayapur or connected with one of Srila Prabhupada's Iskand temples or again having the Lord in our home so our home becomes a holy place and having that consciousness. And in some parts of the world that are away from uh, here in India, they establish the holy place in that place, like at the eco-village uh, outside Mumbai, or in Inishroth in Ireland, or New Vrindavan in West Virginia, or again, New Vrajdam in Hungary. And they establish, oh, here's the Yamuna River, right? Here's Govardhan Hill. Here's where Krishna killed the Keshi demon. Here's where Krishna did this. So that throughout our, our lives, throughout our day, we're reminded of Krishna. So we don't want to live in a place that's reminding us just simply of our ego and this world. Then the next one, of course, is the holy name. And really accepting the holy name, and we discuss this again a little bit more tomorrow in Manashiksha, Really uh, accepting the holy name as a principle of surrender is not just chanting the name as some kind of ritual. Not just, oh, we're Hare Krishna devotees, we're supposed to chant Japa, we're supposed to chant in the Kirtan. But going very deeply in the holy name. And one of my favorite verses is Bhagavatam 2.8.5, where it's explained that the holy name enters the ears and sits in the heart on the lotus of our loving relationship. And if we really think about it, uh, the holy name is like a deity, isn't it? Right? How does the deity manifest? The deity manifests, for example, we install deities, but even a deity like Shalagram, who we don't install. The deity manifests to the worshiper according to that worshiper's affection. And in the same way, the holy name only manifests to us according to our affection. So when we ex- are accepting the principle of the holy name, that is, we are accepting that as soon as we say the name with affection, then Krishna is personally present before us. Uh, the next item of Panchanga Bhakti is that of the association of devotees. <laughs> Now, having myself been a member of the International Society of Krishna Consciousness for my entire adult life, I certainly can attest to the fact that the association of devotees is sometimes one of the greatest difficulties in our life. (laughs) Sometimes, uh, (laughs) I heard one devotee say, the miseries are from the body, the, you know... (laughs) the mind and, other, and the other devotees. So sometimes it's the devotees who give us a lot of pain and, and difficulty and disappointment. That, that, that's a fact. I'm not, I'm not going to argue with that fact. But at the same time, the devotees are everything. 
you know, Prabhupada wrote to Jamun and Dean Tarni, he says, if you are two that is compatible, then that is perfect, and 200 incompatible, nobody makes any advancement. So we need to find association of sadhus who are compatible with us. We need to find sadhu sangha where we can really talk about Krishna, much to tell Magata Pranam Bodhiyantas Prasthan. Kanteyatastamam nitam tushanticha ramanticha. So my own experience has been that if I have some devotee association where we really talk about Krishna, and we'll be discussing this also in Sri Manashiksha in regard to sound, uh, the prostitute and tigress of sound. So when we have devotees with whom we can talk about Krishna's nam, uh, rupa, guna, lila, seva, and not just... Not just that, you know, I'm a devotee, you're a devotee, but my association with you is somehow not about Krishna. And then that is something that we're accepting that's favorable. And it's a little hard, actually, to associate with devotees just about Krishna because it's a challenge to our ego. Mostly we want to associate with other people in a way that glorifies ourselves. I mean, that's just the fact. You know, I, I want other people to know how great and wonderful I am, and they want me to know how great and wonderful they are. And we're basically dealing with each other like that. that that's, that's just the truth. If, if you really become a little introspective and a little observant, you'll see that our association with others is mostly simply to bring up our own uh, inflated importance. Real sadhusanga is we have Krishna as the most important. We're putting Krishna at the center and we take joy in putting Krishna at the center. So that is a wonderful aspect of surrender that we accept. And then the last item of Pachanga Bhakti is, of course, the Shastra, especially the Bhagavatam. So what does it mean to really accept the Shastra? This is to study the Shastra in a very deep way, in a very reflective way. I mean, I know many, many times in our Bhagavatam classes, people read through the verse and the purport very quickly. Try, well, the real thing is the lecture by the speaker. Well, I hate to inform all of you, but the real thing is the Shastra itself. The lecture by the speaker is, is not as important as Prabhupada's words and the Shastra itself. And we really want to relish, really want to meditate on, accepting What's favorable means that we take what's in the Shastra and really make it part of our lives, really internalize it. And and as Prabhupada would say, discuss the Shastra threadbare and from many different angles of vision. So some devotees I know who have really imbibed this in their lives are Krishna Dharma Prabhu and his wife Chintamani Devi Dasi. So they have a system every day where they study Srila Prabhupada's books threadbare they go sentence by sentence. All right, what is Srila Prabhupada saying here? What is Narada Muni saying here? What, is the deep, what, is the, what are the deep meanings of this sentence? And then they discuss, okay, what are my realizations? Having a real conversation with the scripture. And just, you know, I've had a few study sessions with them, and you just open up this storehouse of, of jewels, or our Narayani who's illustrated, arranged to have illustrated every verse in the Bhagavad Gita and every chapter in the, in the Srimad Bhagavatam. You know, to go that deeply into the Shastra 
So this is to really accept the Shastra. And of course to make hearing and studying the Shastra and the works of Acharyas an essential part of our lives. So I've just looked at, at Panchanga Bhakti as far as accepting what's favorable. But this is a very broad category to accept what's favorable. And just looking at it a little bit more broadly, it would mean on the external platform what's favorable for my particular psychophysical nature in this world because one man's food is another man's poison. Yes? Right? So some people have really high risk-taking natures. They're not very cautious people. What's favorable for the high risk-takers, you know, go preach in Saudi Arabia. What about the really cautious people? What was favorable for them might be to manage the accounts. Don't put your high risk-takers managing the finances. And don't, put, don't tell your super cautious people to go preach in Saudi Arabia. So we say accepting what's favorable, this is a point that Krishna makes twice in the Bhagavad Gita quite strongly, means acting according to even our conditional nature. Seeing what is it that resonates, you could say. Just like Ayurveda, there's different kinds of food for different kinds of body types. And and what's good for one body type is not good for another. In a similar way, each of us have certain things that we should do according to our psychology. And then what's favorable according to our, you could say, our age, really. The ashrams are mostly about age. When one's young, being a student in in our youthful life, for most people, marriage and a career, by midlife retiring, and then old age preparing for death. And for some people, a lifetime of a renunciation is what's favorable. For some people, renunciation is favorable. For some people, renunciation is unfavorable. For some people, grahasa life is favorable. For some, it's unfavorable. And that will change at different times in your life. Like Prabhupada told one devotee, you're eating too much. You should reduce. And they said, but Prabhupada, when I came, you told me to eat a lot. And Prabhupada said, did you believe me then? He said, so believe me now. So it could be when you're 20, it's favorable to get married and have a house and have children, and then when you're 50, it's favorable to renounce. So what's favorable according to our particular stage of life, our particular mentality? That's, that's a very fluid and individual thing. So these panchanga bhakti, the 64 angas of bhakti, those are favorable for everybody. But other particular things, you know, for some people having no furniture is favorable. Other people need to have a chair. Does that make sense? And we have to be very careful, by the way, not to put our own judgments of what's favorable on somebody else. Because it's it's not identical. It's not identical. And we're all inspired in different ways. I have one uh, godbrother, every time he sees me, he said, Ermila, you've got to preach more to the non-devotees. And I say to him, Prabhu, that I really enjoy preaching to the serious devotees. <laughs> I said, I like preaching to the non-devotees. That, that's nice. But that's not my main nourishment. So each of us has our own inspiration. Does this make sense to everybody? And Prabhupada talks about this a number of times. He says that we should do these angas according to our personal taste. He says some people will like more hearing, some more chanting, some more deity worship, some more visiting holy places. You know, some devotees, they want to go from one holy place to another and visit all the places. And other people, they're content just to stay within the walls of Krishna Balarama. So this is, 
accepting what's favorable according to our taste, according to our nature, and that changes, of course, over time, and then, of course, also according to our instructions that we receive. Different people will receive different instructions from their authorities. All right, now we're going to go to the second item of surrender, which is rejecting what's unfavorable. So Krishna is going through the whole demoniac nature, but he summarizes it as Trivedam Narakashedam Dwaram Atman Dwaram Nasanam Atmaha Kamakrodas Tatalobas Tasmat Etwat Poyam to give up lust, anger, and greed. What? Oh goodness, sixteen, I can't remember which one. I'm terrible at the numbers. Sorry. I know it's sixteen chapter. Trividam Narakashedam. I think it's 16. No, it couldn't be 16, 3. Because 16, 1 through 3 is the divine. Sorry. 16, 21. Does anyone know? You think it's 24? I think it's 21, but I'm not sure. Somewhere in there. Somewhere around there. Somewhere in the 20s there. Uh, by the way, rejecting these things, my dear friends does not mean repressing them, suppressing them, denying them. Uh, That will not work. Please don't try that. That's useful very briefly, very temporarily, in emergency situations. For an emergency, brief repression is necessary so we don't like all kill each other or steal everything. But the main way that we deal with these is by having a higher taste, by engaging them to some extent in Krishna's service, And also, interestingly enough, and we don't have time to get into this in depth tonight, unfortunately. In fact, we're going to go a little past 5.30 as it is. Is that all right? Is that? Okay. Uh, The main way that we give these things up is that we see them as not me. So Krishna explains this very nicely at the end of the second chapter in 62 to 63 where he gives the fall down sequence by contemplating the objects of the senses one develops attachment from attachment lust from lust, anger from anger bewilderment of memory, loss of intelligence falling into the material pool then look at 64, that's an interesting verse Krishna is really talking about being the observer which he discusses again in the 5th and 13th chapter of Bhagavad Gita just observe oh there's anger in this body. How interesting. Huh. Well, yeah, someone just insulted me. Someone just insulted my ego. Naturally, there's going to be anger in the body. That's interesting. I'm not this body. There's some anger in my mind. That's interesting. I'm not this mind. By doing that... What does Krishna say? Like rivers entering into the ocean. Just observer. Don't grasp, don't reject. Don't grasp, don't reject. Neither accepting them, neither just going, you know, when we say we give up these things, it's not exactly that you repress them, you simply don't grab them. You let them be. You don't act on them, You don't think they're yours. Just observe them, and then they come and they go. 
Oh, lust has arisen in my body. Well, I got a material body. That's what happens. Oh, now it's gone. Okay. And, and just like that. If you try to repress them, they will become what? Stronger. Okay, then of course we have our four regulated principles as things that Prabhupada specifically in talking about this item of surrender says that we should reject. guy's about to gamble away his car, huh? It was really hard to try to find a picture of this one. And these four, these four elements of Kali, boy, you know, they take us right into darkness. Don't do those things. Really. Just don't do those things. They're not good. End the story on that. All right. Also, rejecting things that are unfavorable can be, again, individual. For some people, you reject marriage. For some people, you reject renunciation. For some people, you reject management. You know, it depends on your individual nature. And what surrender to accept for one person is surrender to reject for another person. If we're a little sensitive and honest, we will see that there's certain kinds of services that make us forget Krishna. Have you ever noticed that? I remember once I was at a meeting, and some of you may know Shanakarishi Prabhu of the Oxford Center. And he said, you know, when we talk like this, we all forget about the little blue boy playing his flute. And I thought, oops. (laughs) I've noticed in my life that certain kinds of activities, even in service with devotees in the Hare Krishna movement, take that little blue boy playing his flute far away from my consciousness. And even if I'm good at those things, and even if I like them, and even if I want to do them, it's better if I just don't and let someone else do those things. So things that drive Krishna out of our consciousness, things that incline us to criticize devotees, things that incline us to work too hard so that we don't have time for good quality sadhana, etc., etc., we need to reject those, even if somebody else can accept them without those effects. Okay, we're going to go to the third item of surrender. I hope you don't mind my choice of music. So this is Krishna as shelter. Krishna as my protector. Only Krishna is going to protect me. Generally, in this world, we figure that we are going to get protection from our body. We think our body is going to protect us. 
My body is going to give me what I want and protect me from difficulty. It's going to be strong and healthy. I can walk. I can talk. I can move. My hands work. I can see. And it's going to protect me. And my mind's going to protect me. I, I, there's so many things I know, and I'm so clever, and right? And I've got this great personality, and that's what's going to protect me. And we think other living beings are going to protect me. My mommy, my daddy, my brother, my sister, my children, my grandchildren, the other devotees around me in the Hare Krishna movement, my dog, my cat, my cow. You know, some other living being is going to protect me. Or we think our things are going to protect me. My mobile phone that has my calendar on it and my contact list, and right, my computer, my car, my house, they're going to protect me. Is that true? Can our body protect us? Is our body a very good protector? <coughs> what about our mind? Is our mind a very good protector? What about other living entities? Are they very good at protecting us? Even if they want to. What about our things? Are they very good? No. So only Krishna, only Krishna will protect me. Prabhupada says, again, this is Madhulila 22-100, he says, a devotee must be firmly convinced that Krishna will give him protection. No one else can give one protection. Being firmly convinced of, of this is called faith. And this is from Bhagavatam 1.16.26-30. Prabhupada says, unsurrendered souls are not devotees of the Lord, and thus there is no particular protection for everyone in general. The Lord says that surrendering unto him is the guarantee for all protection from him, but unfortunate persons are unable to accept this proposition and therefore they suffer from all material miseries. I, I really found it interesting that Prabhupada said there's no particular, the Lord is not giving any particular protection for people in general. I mean, we're also psychologically like this. Right? Those of us who have children, we particularly protect our children. We don't particularly protect all the children. I mean, if we see somebody's child in danger, but we don't go out of our way to protect other people's children. We particularly protect those who are especially dependent on us. So I want to do a, a little... Bhaktivinoda Thakur has songs on each of these six items of surrender, and I, I didn't look at any songs for the accepting and rejecting, but I want to look at a song for this one. Bhaktivinoda has this beautiful, beautiful song. It's just one of my favorite songs. He says, Surrendering my soul unto you has lifted from me the burden of false pride. No longer will I try to provide for my own safety. I know that you will give protection to your treasured possessions, O Lord. I now understand the mentality of your treasured cows safely maintained by your side. When you lead your herds to pasture, O Madhava, on the banks of the Yamuna River, you will call to them by softly playing on your flute. Fearless and confident of your protection, I will drink the water of the Yamuna. The Kaliya's serpent's venom poison the Yamuna's waters, yet that poison will be vanquished. You will purify the Yamuna, and by such heroic deeds enhance our faith. 
Bhaktivinoda is now the property of Gokula, your holy abode. O Keshava, kindly protect him with gentle, loving care. Isn't that sweet? Bhaktivinoda is taking this mood of being one of Krishna's cows. He's taking the mood of being one of Krishna's cows. And he's saying, you're going to protect me. And I think it's so sweet that he says, you're going to protect me from the poison of Kaliya. I will drink the water. He says, I will drink the water. I will drink the water of the Yamuna, but that poison will be vanquished. That the devotee is not afraid to take a situation that may be dangerous if necessary for service and that Krishna will make sure that the danger is nullified. The devotee doesn't just say, oh, oh no, I'm only going to go into safe situations. If necessary for our service, what did Srila Prabhupada do coming to America? <laughs> we'll be willing to go into those situations. Like you were saying how you went to Mauritius the same way, right? With, with hardly any money and just some books and one content. And that Krishna will remove those dangers. Okay, we're going to look at the fourth symptom of surrender. This one is accepting Krishna as his supreme maintainer and master. Let's look, think about these a little bit cumulatively. So to accept things that are favorable, in one sense, is the easiest thing. To accept eating for Sodom and the scriptures and the kirtans and Kevalananda Kanda, everything in bhakti is full of nectar. To reject what's unfavorable is a little bit harder, isn't it? Right? That's a little bit harder than accepting what's favorable. But you could do that and still think that you're your own protector. So even deeper is saying, all right, only Krishna is my protector. But you can think that Krishna was my protector and still think of yourself as fairly independent. After all, you can hire a chokidar to be your protector, right? So here, it's Krishna is also my master. And that really hasn't come yet in this surrender. I, I could accept what was favorable, reject what was unfavorable, and see Krishna as my protector and not see him as my master. But here, Krishna is my only maintainer. Prabhupada says he should not think one is, one is being protected by a demigod or maintained by someone else. I like it that Lord Kapiladev says, if a woman thinks that her husband is the source of her money and her children and her home, it's like the sweet calling of a hunter for the death of a deer. That one should see only Krishna is taking care of me. He's the one who's providing everything. This is nicely exemplified also in the story of Magrari the hunter, another one of my super favorite uh, purports, where when Magrari says to Narada, how will I live if I break my bow? Right? You all know the story? Narada says, you know, you're in trouble with this animal killing, break your bow. And the hunter says, how will I live? And Narada says, just break your bow. And Prabhupada says in that purport, the source of our maintenance is not the source of our income. A person thinks, I'm getting income from this job, or the temple authorities are maintaining me, or I have some investments or something. 
you know, but actually it's Krishna maintaining us. Krishna may be using those other means, but it's only, only, only Krishna who's my boss. It's only Krishna who's paying the bills. And it's only him that I have to please. It's interesting that Srila Prabhupada talks about this symptom of surrender also on a higher level in terms of rasa. In a lecture on Shishopanishad Upanishad in 1970 on verses 2 to 4, Srila Prabhupada said, There are six phases of surrender. The first thing is that we should accept what's favorable for devotional service. Then we shall reject anything which is unfavorable. And the next is that to introduce oneself with the associates of the Lord. Just like Krishna has got so many associates, you can, that will of course, not artificially, when you are advanced, you'll understand what is your relationship with Krishna. Then if you introduce yourself with that association. So that applies to this item of surrender, seeing Krishna as our master, seeing Krishna as our maintainer. So that's true on a beginning level as a sadhaka. It's actually Krishna who's taking care of me. He's my only boss. But it's also true on a higher level where one says, oh, Krishna is my only boss in a particular relationship. Bhakti again has such a beautiful song on this. He says, Within my mind, I have always been anxious for the maintenance of my wife and children, my own body and relatives. How will I earn money? How will I acquire fame? How will I arrange the marriages of my sons and daughters? Now through self-surrender, I have been relieved of all anxiety. Oh Lord, Surely you will provide for the maintenance of your own household. Recognizing me as your own servant, you will certainly maintain me. While rendering devotional service unto you, I feel the greatest happiness. How we do this practically is saying, my business is my service and Krishna's business is my maintenance. Now it might be that my service is to go and have a job for my family, but that's my service. It's not the source of my maintenance. And it's Krishna's business to maintain me. Going to the fifth item of surrender. Prabhupada says, Self-surrender means remembering that our activities and desires are not independent. The devotee is completely dependent on Krishna and he acts and thinks as Krishna desires. A devotee is always conscious that he is not independent in fulfilling his desires. Unless Krishna fulfills them, they cannot be fulfilled. So this again I see as a deeper level. Because I can see Krishna as my, my protector, but not my master. But I can see Krishna as my master, but I still have my own interests, isn't it? Couldn't you see someone as your master, but you have your work for your master, and then you have your own interests also? Yes? Right? So this is now not just in my service to Krishna, but everything, even my own desires, even the things I want for myself. I know I'm dependent on Krishna to fulfill. Bhaktivinoda in his song says, The soul inhabiting this mortal body has given up the false ego attached to the word I. For today, the spiritual sense of being yours has entered his heart. All my possessions, body, home, servants, brothers, friends, wives, sons, personal belongings, 
fencing and gateways, which is why I put up this picture of fencing and gateways. All of these are now yours, for I have become your servant. I am but a mere occupant in your house. So not only are you my master, but even my own personal house belongs to you. He says, you are the owner of this house, and I am your most obedient servant. My only activity now is endeavoring for your happiness. This is Vidura from one of our children's books, inviting Krishna to his home and accidentally giving him banana peels until he gives them the actual bananas. Bhaktivinoda says, my will has become merged with your will. Does that mean we have no individuality? No, it means we have total harmony. He says, from this day forward, Bhakti Vinod has completely forgotten himself. He says, I have become supremely happy by surrendering myself at your lotus feet. Sorrow has gone far away and there are no more cares. All I see is joy in the four directions. Why? Because we're no longer worried about ourselves. Krishna is my, my protector. He's, maintain, he's my maintainer. And I don't have anything. I, I have no home. I have no family. I have no worries. They're, they're all his. My only worry is service. And he's worrying about everything else. I don't worry about how to fulfill my desires. That's his worry. I have no anxiety then. One in this position is filled with joy. And this, of course, leads to the sixth symptom of surrender. To become very meek and very humble. After all, if, if Krishna is taking care of everything for me, if Krishna is fulfilling all my desires, if he's always there, then what is the need to think of myself as the doer or the controller? I become very conscious that Krishna is there as everything, as, as intelligence, as ability, as whatever I could possibly need. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur, in his song, In Humility, brings out a very particular aspect of humility. We'll be discussing this in Manashiksha, particularly with verse 8. One realizes in humility that I am the offender. Have we all been offended sometimes by somebody? Have we, all of us, we've been offended? Who decides when the relationship is restored? The offender or the offended? The offended. And therefore, even if I've accepted everything favorable to bhakti, rejected everything unfavorable, even if I'm fully feeling Krishna is my protector and only Krishna, only Krishna is my maintainer, and even if I'm fully in accord with His will and understand that all my desires are in His hands, I still might think that I deserve prema. I might think, well, I'm such a surrendered soul and I've done all this sadhana and where's my prema, isn't it? 
Why don't I have my prema yet? Why, why aren't I in Goloka Vrindavan? But when we're really humble, we understand I'm the offender. I'm the one who's turning my face away from Krishna. No matter what I do, it's Krishna, it's only Krishna who can take me back and decide to restore the relationship. And that's dependent on His mercy only. I can never earn it. I can never pay for it. I have to do everything utmost in my capability. But still, he's the offended party and therefore I need his mercy. So Bhaktivinoda says, Now please hear me, O Lord. I am utterly helpless. Bhaktivinoda says, Without your mercy, everything is lost. Please give me the shelter of your lotus feet. I drank the deadly poison of worldliness, pretending it was nectar. And now the sun is setting on the horizon of my life. Were you to judge me now, you would find no good qualities. Have mercy and judge me not. Cause me to drink the honey of your lotus feet instead. So those are the six symptoms of surrender. We're going to look briefly at the two angas of the list of 64 that deal particularly with surrender. I like to look at this after the six symptoms because you'll see that the six symptoms of surrender in some form are part of these angas of bhakti. They're basically exemplifying these. So the two are Atmanivedanam and Saranapati. So Atmanivedanam, just very briefly, means making yourself the possession of the Lord. Sharanapati means accepting the Lord as one's protector. So Atmanivedanam as the Lord's possession and Sharanapati, the Lord is my protector. So we'll look at each of these just very briefly. So Atmanivedanam, considering ourselves the possession of the Lord, Prabhupada says one should offer everything to the Lord. In Bhagavatam 11.29.34, Krishna says, A person who gives up all fruitive activities and offers himself entirely unto me, eagerly desiring to render service unto me, achieves liberation from birth and death and is promoted to the status of sharing my own opulences. I take charge of your life, Krishna says. As soon as a person surrenders, Krishna gives that person a guarantee of protection. Krishna says, now you are mine. So this Atmanivedanam is this, I am Krishna's, I belong to him. He is taking charge of me. It's explained just like we instruct our own people, right? We instruct our own, you know, husband instructs his wife, we instruct our children. If you're in charge of the brahmacharis, you instruct them. Anyone who's our own people, we give them instruction. In the same way, once we are Krishna's possession, Tesham Sadhata Yuktanam Bhajatam Prithipurvakam Dadami Buddhiyogam Tam Yenam Amupayanti Tesham Evana Kampatam Ahamagyan Jamtamaham. What does Prabhupada say in the purports there? He says, even if you don't properly take advantage of your spiritual master in the scriptures, still Krishna will give you instruction if you are his possession. 
Now, this being Krishna's possession, it's explained, is on the level of body, mind, and soul. Prabhupada says self is sometimes considered to be the spirit self, and self is sometimes considered to be the mind or sometimes the body. So fully is Krishna's possession mean my body belongs to Krishna, my mind belongs to Krishna, and I belong to Krishna. So my body belongs to Krishna. Uh, that's called bhakti viveka. Just as one does not worry about an animal which has been sold, one should offer his body to the Lord and be disinterested in its maintenance. In other words, one should not bother about his personal or family maintenance or sustenance. Only engaged in the service of the Lord. Now, it may be our service to take for Sodom. Of course, you could be like that python-like devotee that Prahlad Maharaj met who didn't even endeavor for food, or Madhavendra Puri who didn't even beg for food. But generally, it's our service to clean the body and put on our clothes and wash the clothes and take prasadam and maybe take medicine. That may be our service. It may be our service to take care of our spouse and our children. It may be our service to make sure the brahmacharis have some prasadam. That may be our service. It's a distinction of consciousness. I'm doing this as a service, but Krishna's taking care of my body and the bodies of my dependents. I am not working because I'm thinking, right? Kartahamiti manyate. I'm not thinking, I am the doer and I am protecting my body and I am protecting my... All I'm doing is service. And Krishna is taking care because my body belongs to Krishna just like an animal belongs to its master. Because he has offered his body to the Lord, he gives up all activities for pleasure in this life and the next, which nourish his body and things related to his body. The Lord then thinks... I desire to make him special. The devotee then attains freedom from death and attains similarity to the Lord. This means one attains his swarup. So when Krishna sees that I'm not making any endeavor outside service for my body and the bodies of my dependents, then Krishna says, "Ah, I will reveal to him his spiritual form. Giving Krishna our mind I think that's one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? To give Krishna my mind. It's interesting that Krishna says of all the senses, I am the mind, so you're just giving Krishna Krishna's. My mind, my household affairs, my body was ever in my possession, my dear Lord. I offer to you for service, Bhaktivinoda says. Now you can do with them as you like. (laughs) If you like, you can kill me. If you like, you can give me protection. Absorb our mind in Krishna. And how much is there to absorb our mind in? In the Shastra, in the pastimes, in the service. And our very self. How do we surrender our self? So this is explained. The example is given by Jamunacharya. He says, My dear Lord, I may be living within somebody as a human being. So here we have our human being. This is a nice little devotee in uh, Bali. He offers artik to Nisingadev outside the altar at the same time the pujaris are offering. So I may take birth as a human being. I may take birth as a demigod. I may take birth as a bug or a plant. In whatever mode of life, I don't mind. I am surrendering my soul to you. You can put, you can put me... In other words, you can put me, the soul, wherever you want. 
And as Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, Sampani Vipare Jiva Nimarane, Daima Magela Tua Opada Bharane. Now, it's explained by Rupa Goswami that this Atmani Vedana is very rare. To really consider yourself the possession of the Lord is very rare. And he says it's rare because, not because you have to be an advanced devotee to do it, but because it's a difficult thing to do. So a sadhaka can do it. You don't have to be a bhava, you don't have to be a pure devotee to do this. Rupa Goswami says very clearly, you do not have to be a pure devotee to do Atmani Vedanam, but it is difficult. He says if you are a pure devotee and do Atmani Vedanam, then it beautifully mixes with your particular rasa. And he gives the example of Maharaj Ambarish, who mixed Atmani Vedanam with Dasya Ras, that he was surrendered, he just stood there when Durvasamuni was going to kill him. And he gives the example in Madhurya Ras of Rukmini. She mixed Atmani Vedanam with Madhurya Ras, that she says, my dear Lord, if you want, you can kidnap me, and if you don't, I will do austerities life after life to attain you. The other of the 64 angas having to do with surrender is saranapati, which is accepting the Lord's protection. And this is described in terms of body, mind, and words. So, my dear Lord, a person who has surrendered himself unto you, who is in firm conviction that he is yours and who actually acts in that way, by his body, mind, and words, can relish transcendental bliss. So this is accepting Krishna is the protector of my body, he's the protector of my mind, and he's the protector of my words. And of course, Nisingadeh very nicely says, anyone who prays to me and asks for protection becomes my personal ward. This doesn't mean that we say to the Lord, all right, you've got to give me wealth, you've got to give me health, you've got to give me this. But as Prabhupada writes in Madhya 22:39, he says, surrender means not that we demand something from the Lord, but that we completely depend on his mercy for his protection. Not, okay, Krishna, you're my protector, my choky darwin, you know, you've got to be here at five in the morning. <laughs> but I am only going to take protection from you. If Krishna likes, Prabhupada says, he may keep his devotee in a poverty-stricken condition, or if he likes, he may keep him in an opulent position. The devotee should not be concerned in either case. He should simply try to satisfy the Lord with service. So, just a little summary. We looked at the story of Bali Maharaj as the personification or epitome of surrender, the six symptoms of surrender to accept what's favorable, to give up what's unfavorable, the conviction that only Krishna can protect us, accepting Krishna as my maintainer, to be conscious that I'm not independent in fulfilling my desires to have no separate interests, and always think that I depend on Krishna's mercy, that without Krishna's mercy, I cannot earn my way or buy my way back to Godhead. And we looked at Atmani Vedanam, which means that I am Krishna's. I belong to Krishna. I am Krishna's and uh, acceptance of the Lord's protection that Krishna is the one who's going to take care of me and however he takes care of me is all right. I'm happy with however he takes care of me.
So I hope you enjoyed this multimedia presentation. Uh, I'm sorry that it went a little bit over time. <laughs> <laughs>